Hello, this is Beth Maples Bays, and this is Lesbian Echoes, a podcast about older lesbians from America and beyond. We hope you enjoy our podcast and listening to the stories of lesbians worldwide. Hello, and welcome to Lesbian Echoes. Today, we're with Marie. Hello, Marie. Hi, Beth. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Um, the way we usually start is I, I ask my interviewee uh, how old they are and how old they are were when they first came out. Um, I'm 69 years old, and I had a question for you, because how do you define coming out? Well, because... well coming out, it can be to yourself. Okay. Uh, I came out to, to myself in the beginning by mm-hmm. reading and recognizing uh, the directions of my desires. Okay, got it. Well, by that uh, definition, uh, I'd say I began coming out to myself around age 10, uh, when I had my first crush on the girl across the street. And I didn't know there was any name for that until I was about 13. And I first heard the word lesbian. So, so 13. Now uh, that's young. I, I think I was about 15 the first time I recognized it because it scared me to death and I ran mm-hmm. the other direction. <laughs> but right. <laughs> but um, so, so when did you start um, interacting with lesbians? Um, I think I met my first lesbian friends at around age 17, 18. And was was this in a group or just an individual friend or? Yeah, I'm trying to think back. <laughs> it was a while ago. Um, I know that at some point during the latter part of my high school years, I uh, went to a lesbian bar with a girl that I had gone to my first of two high schools with. And, you know, it was just, we kind of snuck out the evening and tried to pass for being of age, which we weren't quite then. Um, And then over the next couple of years, I guess I started going to some um, lesbian community meetings and and made some friends there. Um, What part of the country was this in? Uh, East Coast. East Coast. So you had plenty of opportunities. Yeah. Unlike yeah. some of our friends in the more rural areas. Very true, yes. Yeah. And and as far as lesbian bars go, I think there are only 19 left in the entire United States. I just read that yesterday. It's um it's very sad and we need to try to keep the ones we have, if not Increase, although I don't go to the bar anymore. Well, and I think that the demise of lesbian bars, uh, in my way of thinking, is a good news, bad news story, because I think part of the evolution has been that 
bars once upon a time uh, were the only places for lesbians to meet. And from the time of, of Stonewall on through the 70s and 80s, there became a lot more community options. And, you know, the truth is, uh, drinking in bars frequently is very expensive, both monetarily and health-wise. Yes. So, uh, so that that's the good news piece, that you weren't confined to a bar. Right. And a lot of us got sober. <laughs> that too. That yeah. Too. I know that that was true. For example, with Mitch Fest, there was a phase where there was a lot of drinking and whatnot, and then they moved into a more sober phase mm -hmm. um, later on. Um, so this, when you were young, you, were, you went to the bars, like we all did, or most of us did. And, and, and then what happened? Well, um, not just the bars. I actually really didn't make many friends in bars. Um, I don't really have that kind of an outgoing personality and certainly didn't back then <laughs> uh, and was pretty shy. And, you know, just a lot of other things made bars not a good way for me to meet people. Uh, but when there started to be other groups happening and interest groups and political organizations, I actually just made friends and hung out with my friends. What kind of political organizations were you involved with? Well, uh, back then there was um, a group called the Gay Liberation Front. There is the Gay Activist Alliance. Um, there was Daughters of Belitis, which actually was the first group I got involved with and, and made my first friends there. So, yeah. I'm, I'm honored to meet one of the members of the Daughters of Belitis. Um, I don't believe I ever have before. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's really something to me. Um, so, so as time went by, are you still active in groups of any kind? Uh, COVID notwithstanding, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, a couple, but not not really political groups, more yeah. um, social, personal growth oriented and musical. Oh, what kind of music are you interested in? Um, I've been involved in music pretty much my whole adult life, um, not not professionally, but uh, I, I guess I would describe myself as a passionate amateur. I've played uh, in, as an accompanist. Uh, I'm a bass player, an electric bass player. Uh, I've played with a, a few different uh, gay and lesbian oral organizations at their concerts and things like that. And I also played in a small all-women jazz standard-oriented group in the 80s for a short time. But now well, actually I'm involved in bluegrass. Bluegrass, well, yep. I'm impressed. I'm an, <laughs> I'm an East Tennessean, so I love bluegrass. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I grew up in, with bluegrass on Saturday afternoon. That's all that was on TV mm -hmm. is, is live bluegrass. Um, well, uh, bluegrass has kind of evolved and grown up. There's a whole bluegrass pride movement uh, that has become involved uh, 
nationally, not just uh, in one city. They started out in San Francisco and they've they've moved around and they've done a lot of stuff online and uh, are doing some really wonderful work. Well, that's something I'm going to have to look into because mm -hmm. I do I do like bluegrass and mm -hmm. I, I would like it even better if there were some lesbians playing. <laughs> <laughs> so you you played music. That's something I can really identify with, although I didn't play the same kind of music, but music was a passion of mine for many years. Mm -hmm. um, I started on the piano and worked my way out to all kinds of wind instruments and whatnot, but we're not mm -hmm. here to talk about me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> well, I I studied on French horn in high school, and I, I started swapping with other kids. They'd let me take their instrument home for the weekend, and I'd take uh -huh. and let I'd let them take mine, and I learned to play, let's see, trumpet, well, cornet clarinet, flute, alto sax, um, oboe. I, I think that's it. <laughs> and, and, but that's like wonderful. I said, I started, started on piano. Yeah, uh -huh. I, don't, I don't play much of anything but piano anymore. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I loved my music when I loved it. Yeah. Um, so that's what you do for fun. What have you done in your life to earn a living? Um, well, I started out in you know various kinds of clerical jobs and um, wound up getting, I, it, it took me a while. Uh, I didn't do the straight route right into college when I was 18. It was a long and winding road. Um, I got a first bachelor's degree in the 80s uh, with a psychology major, but did not really feel called to pursue that as a, as a profession. Um, wound up in another clerical job and then uh, because I was interested and, you know, good enough at sciences, I wound up in nursing school. And so, you know, it, it wasn't a huge passion. I'm, I'm grateful to it. Um, and it kept me from being poor, so, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, I have a nursing background, so I'd be interested in knowing what kind of nursing you did. Um, I did a very brief stint in hospital med surge nursing right out of nursing school and then um, wound up in actually a, a, a blood collection specialty, hemophoresis for almost 10 years, then yeah. tried to get out of nursing and uh, <laughs> that that didn't work so well. So wound up um, doing another kind of community health nursing for 18 years. And I, did, I did some home health nursing myself. Well, it wasn't home health, but it was, it was under the umbrella of community health. Community health, yeah. Um, I, I love nursing, but... Um, I, I became disabled visually. So you, you have mm -hmm. to be able to see to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. So, so that, put, that put an end to it for me. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah. Well, so so um, if, you, if you would like, could you tell us about some of the relationships you've had? 
Um, I have had uh, three relationships, uh, each lasted around four years, and there was usually a space of about 10 to 12 years between them. Um, and those four, those three relationships involved living with my partners at the time. Um, I think because I, how shall I phrase this? Um, I was very much of a not non-gender conforming kid and went through some issues around that within my family. And I think it impacted my self-esteem in a way that um, made things about relationships harder for me than for maybe some other people uh, <laughs> and launched me on a lifelong path of getting to know myself and, and working on myself to, uh, to learn ways of being that worked better. Well, you know, that, that topic is a hot topic right now, the issue of non-gender conforming young lesbians uh -huh. and, and older ones even for that matter um i'm not butch but i've always had a butch by my side my <laughs> entire life mm -hmm. and um i don't i don't know what i would have done without non-gender conforming women i i would have been lost um but um, it, yeah, we we need to lift lift those kids up and and give them a path um, so that they don't uh, go the way some of them have been going um, and making uh, making it hard um, to be gender nonconforming. Um, so let's see, where are we? How how about? Your relationship to the to the larger community, uh, are you involved in anything, or what is your relationship to the larger community been like? At the present time, uh, there's not too much involvement. Uh, we have a a local organization that has uh, been really wonderful, especially during COVID. Um, that's geared towards uh, women over 55. So that's been somewhat of a community. I've, I've gone to a few events pre-COVID, uh, you know, related to that. Um, you know, until I retired a year ago, I had a work schedule that kept me uh, from doing a lot of community things because of the times uh, at which they occurred. So I was kind of on my own a lot anyway. Um, going back, you know, to my post high school years and, uh, you know, during that time, there were more things happening in the community and more organizations. Um, I am not of the kind of political activist stripe that I'm going to be, you know, out yelling in the streets. Um, it's just not my personal style. I I will support good causes in other ways. We so, we, all, we all do what we can. What we what we do. <laughs> we everyone do what we do. yes, yeah, everyone sure. does what they do. Um, so I'm just wondering what else you would like to tell me 
I'm sure there are things that you've thought about <laughs> leading up to this. Well, let me see. I actually made some notes here. Um, boy, I think we've kind of covered, uh, you know, a huge part of the questions you you forwarded to me, um, you know, prior to yeah. our meeting. Um, let's see. I guess what, one thing I could comment on is that the the Stonewall riots happened the year that I graduated high school. Wow. Yeah. And I was at the first parade slash rally that happened the following year. Really? Yeah. So I, I, I've seen a lot of change over the years. Uh, I think like so many uh, evolutions for, for people who have been um, not always welcomed into the mainstream, there's been a huge amount of positive change looking back. And I think it's really easy sometimes to lose sight of that. Um, it seems to me that uh, the younger people coming up now uh, in some ways have a different focus, uh, a different political focus. I, I'm seeing a lot of younger folks being much more concerned about climate change and um, social change at a larger level in terms of the way our economic system as it has <laughs> existed mm -hmm. in the US uh, doesn't work for so many people. Um, so, you know, I don't know that that applies to everyone, but but I do see that as being a focus for younger folks and a really good one and an important one. Yes, it is. Um, well, I guess we could wrap it up. Um, there, it just seems like there's something else I want to ask you. Okay, and I, I well, can't I can't quite get there. Let's but, let's give it a minute and see if it okay. uh, bubbles up to the surface. I just um because I'm so amazed that I'm getting to meet a daughter of Belita's member and you were well, there. I wasn't really an actual, you know, card carrying or dues paying member. Uh, I, I was very young at the time and I did go to some of their meetings and events. So <laughs> that, that in and of itself is amazing yeah, to me. Yeah, it was, it was a godsend that it existed. And um, I think the fact that it's coming up as a topic in our uh, dialogue here is really good because a lot of people, even people, you know, 10 years younger than I am, don't know about it and don't know the history. Right. And and so let's tell them a little bit. It was an organization. It was the first lesbian organization in the United States. Am I right? To my knowledge, yes. And I don't claim uh, to be an expert on that, but I think that's correct. And it was founded by a couple named Phyllis Lyon and Dale Martin. Uh, who were also the first lesbian couple to get married, I believe. Indeed, they were. In the in the U.S. So that, I guess that's why I'm jumping up and down over this, <laughs> <laughs> because it, it has such historic meaning, uh, to, historic meaning true, to me. True, true. Um, because 
a lot of a lot of our listeners will probably not know about that organization. Um, and I I can remember seeing um, photocopies of the covers, um, both in Lesbian Connection back in the mm -hmm. day before the internet, and now online you still see them, and um, it's it's um, it's a a very important thing to note, I think. Um, being from where I'm, being from here, I didn't come out here, but I I came back 10 years after I came out and I, mm -hmm. I was born and raised here in East Tennessee and there was just nothing here. There's as far as a lesbian community, a lesbian feminist community, there still is nothing here. Mm -hmm. um, um, there's there's a a big rainbow community, but that rainbow keeps getting more and more calories. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, the, the rainbow keeps getting more and more what did you say? Colors. Colors, yes, yes, it does. Um, and I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, and it's there's there's an expansion there. And uh, I think sometimes for lesbians uh, in my age group, it may be a little difficult at times to figure out where we fit in. Yes, that's exactly I how think, I feel. I think lesbians, you know, as far as the the lesbian and gay rights movement of the past uh i think just because of how society is structured and patriarchy and sexism i think there have been ways that lesbians have uh so to speak gotten the short end of the stick in terms of visibility in terms of resources and you know our our issues have been different historically in some ways from those of gay men and yet it took lesbians and gay men and you know other people uh, who might label themselves differently now kind of pulling that together um, to create the movement that got us this far in terms of civil rights yeah it but it's almost like the it's getting so broad it's almost meaningless. Um, back in the day, it was us and the fellas, and um, I was nursing in the winter of 89 on a medical respiratory floor, and one out of four of my patients had PCP pneumonia. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I, 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 I got, I, I was quite a, little bit of a separatist but but that made me closer to mm -hmm. some of the gay guys yeah. you know yeah um, well lesbians took on a huge role in supporting and and caring for gay men who were ill with aids and but it was it was a i think in some ways a behind the scenes phenomenon well i would i was on the front line and uh I would walk in and say, hello, I'm your sister. 
and I would get big smiles. Yeah. Um, because they were they were I I would listen. I wasn't out at work, and I heard the nasty comments and yeah. the, the the homophobia all around me, and so I wanted to try to extend the hand of welcome if I could. These poor guys sure. were so sick to start with. Um. Yeah. Let's I, talk a little bit more about lesbians have been sort of, well, like you said, given been given the shrift um, over time. And and I don't I don't know what we can do to help fix that. Um, it's, it's not too late. Doing this podcast is is one thing um to get our voices heard um what do you think well uh that's a little difficult for me to answer i don't have any one suggestion or any one size solution because i think it's as different as lesbians are um i also feel that we're in how shall I phrase this? Let me back up here. Um, part of my life path has been much more spiritually focused in terms of, you know, who, who am I in this world, in this universe? Um, what, what can I do on my individual spiritual level to make things better? And mm -hmm. I was having this discussion with a couple of good friends the other day. And a lot of the spiritual teaching and knowledge that's been around for a while suggests the best thing each of us can do is work on ourselves. Well, that sounds like a wise note to end on. <laughs> uh, I have really enjoyed our conversation. And I have too, Beth. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate your time and your effort. So We'll say goodbye for now. Bye for now. Uh, thanks for doing this podcast. And okay. I hope your listeners uh, get something of value from it. I'm sure they will. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this segment of Lesbian Echoes. Be sure to check in with us next time as we bring the stories of lesbians' lives to you. Mm -hmm.